Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell, and I'm joined this week by my buddy, Nick Canberian. Hey, Adam and everyone out there. I'm home. I'm on Long Island. Hi, I'm Nick. Did I say that part yet? Hi, Adam. This is Nick. And Mike Forrester. Wow, Nick, quite the intro you gave yourself. Um, I am. Did I say this is Nick? Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, Nick is here, everyone. Uh, I'm excited to talk Kenobi. And I do want to also shout out to our super host, Adam Russell, for saying we need to move up a conversation that needs to happen much sooner. So I am loving that we get to talk about Kenobi a little bit later for the best reason. And that was because of the fantastic discussion you guys had last week. So. Shout out to Adam. Please tweet at him. That was lovely. And finally, host of our sister podcast, it's Sarah Maciel from Princess and Scoundrel. Hello. Hey, brothers. Thanks for being here. Hey, brother. <laughs> hey, brother. <laughs> you are my brother, Sarah. Was that uh, an Arrested Development mention? It absolutely was. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, brother. Hey, brothers. <laughs> so like Mike said, we're talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. We're doing a full season recap. We're going to call this the season one recap because we all hope and know in our hearts that there will be a second season. It feels like there will be, right? All the the seeds are being planted. The suggestions are being dropped. Let's just go ahead and operate as if season two is happening. Like the kids say, we're manifesting it. (laughs) Do the kids say that? Do the kids kids say say we're manifesting it? The kids said that in like 2004 when The Secret was a popular book, right? (laughs) What's The Secret? Did the kids read The Secret? Is it on your vision board? Let's put it on our vision board. I'm on the internet. People say manifest a lot. I didn't read The Secret and I also do not believe in astrology or any hexes or uh, spells or anything. That's rude. I wish I knew your horoscope so I could be like, that's what a Pisces would say. Oh, <laughs> uh, such a Sagittarius thing, bro. That's what a Gundark would say, so. Oh, boy. All right. Let's, um, let's just get right to it. We'll get into stolen plans. We'll talk about the things that touched us on the heart. And then maybe we'll cry later. What have you done with those plans? Obi-Wan Kenobi, the Disney Plus series described in a Disney Plus official description as the following. During the reign of the Empire, Obi-Wan Kenobi embarks on a crucial mission. Cryptic as always. (laughs) Mark the intern. (laughs) Thank you, Mark. Released May 27th, 2022. That was, of course, pushed back two days from what would have been the anniversary of Star Wars, period. It was fine. Lots of people were outraged, but... No. We were only outraged because we were going to be in the middle of celebration and stress the hell out about <laughs> trying to get uh, an episode out. Yeah. But it was, it was fine. May 27th. It worked out. We hung out. We were at Nick's house. We watched the thing. The world kept spinning. It was crazy. Yeah. It's weird. Directed by Deborah Chow, all six parts. Written by uh, lots of folks. 
Stuart Beatty, who wrote the first Pirates of the Caribbean. What was it called? What was the one? What was the first one called? It had the Curse the sub- of the Black Pearl. There it is. Disney lady in the building. Also wrote Collateral and 30 Days of Night. Uh, Hossein Amini, who wrote Drive, Snow White and the Huntsman, 47 Ronin, and was uncredited as a writer on Gangs of New York. Uncredited writing's like very much a thing. Somebody who comes in, kind of tightens yeah. up a script, this, you know, this or that. Um, he was on that. I feel like he should put that one on his resume. <laughs> it's on his, his Wikipedia resume. That's one he might want credit for. <laughs> Joby Harold, who wrote Transformers, Rise of the Beasts, The Flash. He was the executive producer on Edge of Tomorrow and John Wick 3. And then Hannah Friedman, whose credits I don't know. And lastly, Andrew Stanton, who wrote on parts four and five of this series. He wrote Toy Stories 1 through 4, A Bug's Life, Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, Wally and tons of other Pixar films, they brought in the ringer for this. Hmm. He crushes. That's crazy. I wonder if he was just like, what if Leia has a little cute droid? All right, I'll see you guys later. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> My work here is done, bro. Collect check. <laughs> That's why we bring him in here, baby. <laughs> this series stars, of course, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi and Hayden Christensen returns as Darth Vader. Let's just for a moment before I get into all this, just rejoice and applaud Hayden Christensen's return and how amazing it was at Celebration seeing him and Ewan up there. Like what a, a redemption for a dude who, like, like a lot of other actors in the prequels, just got shit on by m- literally millions of people and then to return not only as a character who was beloved by a whole generation of people and th- that generation had to get older in o- order to experience the appreciation but also to get like a second shot at at being the Anakin Skywalker, the definitive Darth Vader, and then taking it to another level. Like, I, I just, I don't have the words to describe the feeling of witnessing that dude having the feelings that <laughs> we can only imagine. It's just like, I, I don't know. I'm full of emotions. It was great. Does anyone else think it was great? It was all right. Cool. <laughs> but imagine like um, <laughs> having like landing your dream job going in thinking you've crushed it and then everybody just like craps on your performance. Yes. And then how many years later they come back and say, you know what? We want you to do that job again, but now we like you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's tough. Yeah. I mean, it was the initial, what we're all going through now with the Disney era. It, it was the initial version of that. It, it's, yeah. uh, I understand more of the quote unquote prequel hate than I do the Disney hate because for 16 years of waiting for new Star Wars for it to look the way it did. I understand that people's brains and eyeballs could not comprehend that it looked so different. Yeah. And it felt different. I understand that. I don't understand any of the Disney hate. It's coming from somewhere else, like political, like just something weird. But it's coming from the butthole. Let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yes. Yeah. I was, I was overshooting place. it. It's coming from the butthole. But yeah, I mean, it, it had to be him and. Clearly, between the Clone Wars and a lot of other storytelling, Anakin's character has way more depth now, and it's amazing, and we needed it all. We all needed it to be Hayden. It couldn't have been anybody else. It had to be him. Because he's been accepted by the people who grew up in multiple ways. I want to say grew up in an actual age sense. The people who loved him back then grew up with him. But like as a whole... Even though there's still plenty of haters out there, there's way more people who like him and understand. I I guess I won't say understand. There's more people who are invested in the story of Star Wars that need 
continuity. Like what they need yeah. actor continuity. So yeah. he had to come back. He did great. And not just accepted, but fully embraced. Like he mm-hmm. is, he is the Darth Vader. He is the definitive Anakin Skywalker to millions of people. Mm-hmm. So this is a, a beautiful return. Did you think that there was a certain perspective of him bringing that almost two decades worth of now he's like a father of a couple kids. He's just like the world has obviously affected him because he lives on this planet like the rest of us to bring a tone to this role and the way that we saw him come through that helmet was so much more sinister than I felt like this didn't feel like acting when I saw his face and that little creepy smile and this whole Mm -hmm. idea of like, he just, I feel like the age of himself because that suit almost like has that aging quality to it because it constantly tortures you. I'm like that as an actor, like, dude, how many people get to do that role? I mean, maybe we're thinking about a little bit, the last time we saw him, he never got to really be transformative as Darth Vader, right? I feel like that, like how many, how lucky for that guy too. Yeah. To be able to use like real world perspective on being like, how would you think that you've been? Yeah. Like how has the world affected you? I'm like, that's insane. That's mind blowing to me. Like as an actor, you would, you would take, if you had to cry in a scene, you would take some other terrible experience in your life, whether it was a loss of a loved one or something and try to channel it for that moment. But what he got to do was given the opportunity to do is take all this hate and shit that he experienced that kept him out of acting almost entirely off social media, all that kind of shit and embrace it, embrace his dark side to play a dark side character. Yeah. That was probably incredibly therapeutic for him and very genuine on screen. I, I'm sure Deborah Chow was like pulling him aside and they probably won't put this in the, the Disney gallery, but she was like, <laughs> think about all those f-ing haters <laughs> from 20 years ago and put it all in this moment right now. And that's part, that's like a part of what I think makes acting acting because I always, I went and saw a live taping of American Idol a couple of years ago. Right. And the judges are like, you know, it's Whitney Houston night. Like, you, you know, you, you really got to feel like when she says, you know, I, I love you. You really got to feel it. I'm like, yo, these kids are 14. They don't know what that's <laughs> like. Like, stop, like, stop, <laughs> stop making them do that. And then you think of like wh- how, what, Hayden went through as a young actor and then you have George Lucas directing him in the way that George Lucas directs being like, I don't know, try it again. You know, okay. Mm -hmm. You look kind of angry. I guess that works. But now like just to have a different perspective on, I think is, is incredible and more a testament to like how rad he is as an actor to step away from truly like serious acting professional doing all the other stuff and then stepping back into this role and being like, I got this. Trust me, I'm good. (laughs) And he did. And he absolutely did. Also credited as Darth Vader, of course, James Earl Jones. We talked a little bit in previous episodes about what that means and how they achieved the new Darth Vader voice and why James Earl Jones is credited. We won't go into it any further on this episode because everything we speculated on, I think we said enough. And when it comes to the Disney gallery, we'll, we'll see exactly how it went down and we'll talk about it then. Next, of course, is Vivian Lyra Blair, who played Princess Leia, Little Leia, as she was immediately known. Little Leia, like, can I adopt you? <laughs> you seem to have great parents, but do you want to just come live here instead? <laughs> um, Sarah, did you feel any parent vibes when watching the show? So I am the mother of a little Leia. <laughs> as soon as she spoke her first lines, I was like, 
that's my daughter. Like she is fiery. She's passionate. She is headstrong, stubborn, independent. She's all of those things, but also just hilarious. And so it was just like instantly like, I love you. And I need to protect this character that I'm watching on the screen because I I know you, I know who this kid is. It was just, she was amazing. She crushed it. She's unbelievable. I, I, I've watched those scenes, those like really important scenes. And we probably all know which ones I'm referring to over and over. And every time I'm like, how does a 10 year old do this? How is this possible? It's mind blowing. Not only to act like she did, but to have the weight of Carrie Fisher's Leia on her shoulders and to execute it so perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At 10 years old. She just turned 10. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But but trust me, like as a parent, like I'm now looking at my kid and being like, how come you can't do that? (laughs) What a loser. You haven't asked me for a holster once. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the, the, we'll talk about the series as a whole of how it made a new hope better. But like you just mentioned, having the weight of Carrie Fisher, this is one of the examples of this entire series making all of Star Wars after it better. And she, yeah. she made little Leia made Leia better. It, it just truly, in a sense, when Obi-Wan is giving the whole speech at the end, all I'm thinking about is Carrie Fisher. So that's the writing, that's the acting, all of it. It's just an incredible tribute to Carrie and Princess Leia in general. And they just, that's yet another thing they completely nailed and... It, it achieved all goals of wanting, you know, I went into this wanting to cry every episode. I didn't cry every episode, but I cried a lot during the last one. I know that yeah. much. <laughs> and shout out to Deborah Chow because directing children is notoriously not only hard, but just like painstaking and a crapshoot. I've never directed a child. I've directed very few things as a half-assed filmmaker, but I can only imagine what it, the, just the experience I've had with, with kids, my, you know, living with my nephew when he was two years old and, and being around kids because all my friends have kids and I'm the old person who doesn't. Like you can barely get them to just, hey, dude, don't do that, you know, <laughs> let alone like deliver a performance that lives up to the legacy of Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. Holy shit. So shout out to Deborah Chow. I mean, there's like a handful of directors who I've seen get those kind of performances out of children over the past 40 years. And that includes Steven Spielberg, um, the Duffer brothers and Night Shyamalan in the sixth sense. And like just maybe a few more that you can count on one hand. That's an amazing skill. So shout out to her, uh, moving down the list here, Moses Ingram as Riva, AKA the third sister, Jimmy Smith's the legend as Bale Organa, Simone Kessel as Bria Organa, who was awesome. I love her. Soon Kang as the fifth brother, Rupert Friend as the Grand Inquisitor, uh, Kumail Nanjiani as Haja Estri. Is that how you said the last name? Estri? Mm-hmm. Dinesh. He's just Dinesh forever for me. But Hello, Guilfoyle. <laughs> O'Shea Jackson Jr. as Roken, son of Ice Cube, in Star Wars. And he's so stoked. Have you seen him on social media? Just like, oh, yeah. When can we do this? Can we do more Star Wars, please? Hello? It's awesome. Pumped. Indira Varma as Tala. Maya Erskine as Sully. I know her from Pen15. Yep. She's Maya from Pen15 forever. To, she's a, it's, it's, it's another one of those roles. Even with her sad face, when she, after um, What's-His-Name died, it was like she got made fun of, you know, in junior <laughs> yeah. high, or her older brother told her to shut up and get out of her room. It was the same face. Mm-hmm. I couldn't shake it, but she's still great. Joel Edgerton returning as Owen Lars. Same with uh, Bonnie Peasy, Pice, Peace, Pice, Piece of, Piece of Cake, as Baru Lars. Uh, she returns as well 
from the prequels. And then quick appearances. We've got Ian McDermott returning as Emperor Palpatine for a little hollow message and Tamara Morrison as a veteran clone trooper for just a brief moment in part two. And then <laughs> lastly, Flea as the bounty hunter, if you want to call him that, right? He was probably a bounty hunter. Vect no crew. I just learned that name today. Fitting. I heard a lot of people, we're, we're gonna, probably going to, we're skipping from a certain point of view, but I'll say this on Flea. For people our age, it's like, holy shit, that's Flea. What the hell? Why am I seeing Flea in Star Wars? But kids from 10 years old to 18 years old probably have no idea who that is. Who cares? And not for nothing, too, if you don't think of him as Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. He fits in the universe. There's just some yeah. people who look the part. Yeah. Like the client in Mandalorian. Yeah, that's Werner Herzog. But I don't know who Werner Herzog is, really. So he looked sick. He was like Star Wars, like sort of villain. It's great. Obi-Wan's theme in this was composed by John Williams, the legend. Probably, I would guess, I would be so bold as to say this is probably his last Star Wars project. That man's like 133 yeah. years old, <laughs> and he's still the best musician alive. We've, we, we've been talking about Westworld off off while we were not recording, and John Williams is for sure going to be a host. We'll, 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 be, <laughs> we'll be like in 30 years, we'll be podcasting like, John Williams is 140 years old right now, and he's still yeah. scoring things. Be like, mm, thumbs up. Check, check under his skin. He might be an android. <laughs> <laughs> but the actual score was done by Natalie Holt, whose credits I didn't look up, and I'm sorry, but Natalie crushed it. Yeah, it was, I thought, really good. Like a really good combination of new Disney scoring, like Mandalorian, like not quite Ludwig, like Mandalorian, and mm -hmm. not quite uh, not quite John Williams, but somewhere in there. It actually was a legal thing about the music. Whoa. That I found out that Deborah Chow came to Natalie Holt and said, we aren't going to be allowed to use some of the common themes. Interesting. Huh. Any other details? I'm assuming that it was like a licensing thing from the original. I don't know if it's like an ownership thing or whatever. Like, so I read that and apparently that was like established from the front. And so that's why I think it was a big deal when he came back to do this, because I don't know if he was already planning on being done with Star Wars, but I guess... I don't know if it was like a music, literally like a legal licensing thing that they weren't allowed to just like use the same music score. Was it a budget thing or was it just like, like it very possibly could have been. Cause what's crazy about this show is that this show was, I think done for, was it 80 million? I do not know. Sorry. I'm blowing it on um, stolen plans by not knowing that. No, it's, and I don't know if this is unsubstantiated, but each episode was 25 million. And that isn't really that much for a show that was basically supposed to be like cinematic, mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting. And I know that a lot of people were kind of frustrated with the fact that there weren't these classic Star Wars themes. But I think the idea is that you weren't seeing the classic version of this character that you know and love. I think that was purposeful. Um, there are some parts of it where, you know, of course, as soon as things hit it's like fan re-edit with this you know <laughs> the the you know the luke uh the force theme at the end of the mandalorian i'm like that wasn't luke's moment that was actually din jaren's moment so why would they put the force theme in there um you know so there's like all of those decisions that i think were made in a very high up conceptual way that i think most people didn't understand when it happened and now you look back on it in the whole series like what we're recapping and i'm like there was some very risky 
moves that they made that I actually think are pretty damn impressive that they went with it because the the score was most prevalent in the last two episodes. And I'm like, that was pretty rad that it was so void in the beginning because that's how I felt looking back on it, that it was a masterclass in Ewan McGregor acting. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. And it landed so much harder after that delayed the suspense that was built for us as fans, knowing those themes and expecting them when it does land, it's that much heavier in my opinion. So maybe it was legal stuff, but it worked. Yeah, I don't know. Sure I want to get to the bottom of that because I don't understand legally like who owns that music. Or maybe you're talking about the original, original recordings. So I feel like Disney bought Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm probably owns that music. So I don't know what yeah. legally, because it's not like they didn't use them at all. Of course they used them. So yeah, I don't know. Well, last couple things here in Stolen Plans before we get into further discussion. 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. That's low. I yeah. feel like it's pretty low. I don't know, but who who knows how that stuff goes. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes had an 83% tomato meter with a 63% audience score. Again, low. I don't trust any of this. This is all bots. I think the people that enjoy it are out enjoying it, and the people that weren't going to enjoy it from the beginning are the ones that are going and downvoting. Yeah, like they're they're getting they're at home getting off on the fact that it has sixty three percent. They're like, see, yeah, I did it. I made a difference. <laughs> <laughs> There's some serious uh, Karens on Yelp vibe happening right here. <laughs> Take that, Kathleen. <laughs> Runtimes uh, ranged from thirty six minutes to fifty three minutes, which is a little surprising that there was an episode that was as short as thirty six minutes mm. with only six altogether. Mm-hmm. But who cares? I I, I for sure. I, it took three years, but I think that I'm seeing how Disney Plus series work because Marvel's this way too. There's no like when you're watching, for instance, the new season of Stranger Things. They're all like an hour five or an hour fifteen, whatever it is. They're all a set amount of time, basically, except for the the last two. But this isn't a normal television series. Neither was Mandalorian. Like they end the episodes where they need to end the episodes. It's not like they have 45 minutes that they need to record and that's it. It's if this story this week is 30 minutes long, this is what we need to tell this week. And the next one will be 45. I mean, I want them all to be an hour for sure. Right. But the way they're going seems to be, here's the story we're telling this week. Here's what we're setting up. And it only took in editing 35 minutes. So we're, we're not going to try to stretch it out to a 45 minute show. It's 35 minutes accept it because that's what works yeah that and they've all been that way so I, i'm done trying to question every time i press play now at midnight i'm expecting the episode to be 30 minutes so yeah. <laughs> if it's anything more than that i'll be happy all right let's get into some discussion and we'll start with a little bit deeper dive on the score that mike just put in the notes here mike you want to you want to speak on this or read this quote maybe well, the I, I was going to say for Adam, the you know, if you're looking for Natalie Holt's like biggest thing probably to date is that she was actually the one that did the Loki theme. Dude. Uh, which is awesome. It's unreal. unreal. So yeah. um, I, I'm assuming that like what happened is, you know, Disney people had a great interaction with her. Like, you know, I think most of the scores and Marvel in some regards are forgettable, but Loki's theme is like so good and the whole way that that show was laid out was awesome. So what's interesting is she she had an interview with someone recently and they talk about that now that the show is over. And her quote was that when I started on this project, we weren't sure that we we're going to be able to be allowed to use the John Williams themes. So 
Deborah Chow was saying to me, I, I think we need to score the show as if we're not going to be able to use them. And I don't want to find out that we can't, so let's make it work without it. So I think that was kind of like a preemptive thing. Again, this is a weird legal thing that, again, I don't understand, but it's definitely making it seem like the fact that they don't have access to all things Star Wars. Hmm. And we've seen weirder stuff, which happens before, but I also think it's pretty next level for Deborah Chow to be able to say, I don't know if we can do that. I mean, that's a, honestly, that's a good director being like, don't rely on that or else the whole show is not going to fall apart because of it. Uh, so I, I give, uh, if we're, if we're sending praise to Deborah Chow, I'm like, that's, that's how you trudge through for sure. And then, you know, saying that like we didn't hear the Imperial March until the end when he is fully committed to being Darth Vader, because there was this idea that like you thought Anakin was going to pop through and realize like Obi-Wan, I'm scared. I, I don't know where I'm going on this path, but he just doubled down on it. And then that's when we got hit with the Imperial March because that's, that's, that's yeah. the song that we all expected to see. But this idea that he was still in the ether on what part of the force he was choosing to go down, I think it was super cool. So that's just a little tidbit from the score. Legal stuff. I would guess that the deal with 20th Century Fox has some really deep legalese that when they got into the weeds, kind of tripped them up here. Stuff that's like, sure. all right, yeah, yeah, we'll make that work. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, you know, at, at the time of signing the deal. And here we are. So, you know, because they're buying Lucasfilm and then it, there's this 20th Century Fox deal and there's the publishing based on like who owned the rights to the masters, who owned the rights to the compositions and the songs themselves, which is John Williams. And there's, there's just so many layers to this. But then streaming too, right? Isn't yeah. that like been like the big like fiasco with like every release lately is like, we didn't agree to streaming rights. Like this is totally different. Like, you know, this, you know, because it used to be like tickets sold and, you know, everyone's negotiating their contracts around like tickets sold. And then, you know, that was kind of what the hang up with, you know, uh, Black Widow was a couple of years ago, right? It was like, we didn't agree to streaming. We did it off ticket sales, you know? And so it's just like, I, I have a feeling that you're, you're probably totally right. It's like, there's lots of traps and, you know, hangups on the back of these agreements that, you know, I mean, yeah. these themes are arguably some of the most iconic musical themes in all of cinema history. So music history, period. Yeah. So it's like, it's like, I'm sure they weren't going to be like, oh yeah, sure. I guess that really sucks for us. You're buying John Williams themes too. They were like, no, no, no. <laughs> the lawyers were like, I'm settling in. I'm putting in 12 barbs. But was this the first time since... Disney acquisition, like the first time in the TV shows that they used those themes? They did in Mando. Did they? They used the, the Force theme. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, but no, they, they were used all, the Binary Sunset. Yeah. But it wasn't the, it wasn't the original, yeah, the original, original composition. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So that's, we could really get into the weeds about the music industry stuff. Like, but I'll try to give you the briefest possible thing. You've got the original recording, which is the master, which the label or the studio owns. And then you have the, composition the song which the writer owns unless someone's bought that or they they had some kind of partnership whatever so if you cover something like if bayside or story of the year did a cover and we're creating a new recording of under pressure by queen or whatever we owe the writers of that ours goes ding 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 dick a ding ding <laughs> yes <laughs> thank you we we owe the writers x amount but Aside from the the signing off of you know the ability to to do that cover, there there's no obligation to pay the label anything because you're not reusing the recording. So anytime 
over the, the past 45 years that the Imperial March has been re-recorded or the force theme, you know, the, the binary sunset, that's a publishing conversation, but it's not a master's, you know, studio label conversation. So there, there are different hurdles to jump depending on how you want to go about it. But who knows? Who knows what's really behind the curtain? It's less weird than you think. Yeah, it, it, it's more straightforward. It's more complicated, but when you realize what's involved in that complication, it can be more straightforward if you approach things a certain way. Sure. That probably doesn't clarify for ninety nine percent of people, but yeah, tr- uh, don't don't at me. Bro. I said the words. <laughs> it's like the uh, it's like the Taylor Swift re recordings, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Like hair hair bands from the eighties have re recorded whole albums because they're like, screw this, I want to get paid more. And they try to make it sound exactly like the original master because they want to get paid more than the 10 cents on a dollar or whatever was in their original contract. So I wish I got 10 cents on the dollar. I'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit. Sad. <laughs> I want to especially talk on this wrap up episode about the kind of parental slash guardian vibes in this story. This being another lone wolf and cub kind of story, the kind of thing that we saw in the Mandalorian and the bad batch. And the Bad Batch, it's, it's very much a part of Star Wars now. It's not just the hero's journey. The, the writers of all the, the Disney-era Star Wars stuff have started to look back at everything that inspired Lucas and pull story ideas and concepts from that, archetypes that are present in a lot of Japanese cinema and old Western cinema. And this is another, again, adventure with a warrior, a gunslinger, uh, a samurai-type figure with a child who needs protection and adventure ensues, right? So Mike and Sarah being parents and starting with Sarah, how much of your perspective as a parent played into your experience watching this? It was honestly really hard to watch because there was a lot of violence towards children in this series Mm -hmm. and having the Texas school shooting having had happened within the week of the show premiering and then order 66 and then Leia nearly falling to her death. And then you see Reva and her stuff and then Reva and Luke. It was a lot to process. And it, as I was watching, it just made me want to just like protect my babies because it was weird timing, weird, weird timing for the show to come out when it did, but also being a parent and watching this and seeing Leia just being this little being Leia and being so independent and saying like, it's okay, I got this. I can go get this door open again and I can go figure out these things. And, you know, seeing Obi-Wan want to go guide Luke already as a kid and then finally coming to the realization, like, you know what he needs to be? He needs to just be a boy and he needs to be himself and grow into who he's going to be. That was, I think, a good lesson for parents to take out of the series. It's like, as much as you want to make sure they don't make the mistakes that you've made. You just got to let them be who they're going to be. Yeah. I would concur with that. I don't have that many connections in my mind to thinking about the process of Anakin being a pseudo adopted by the Jedi order, having the kind of unknowing Obi-Wan Kenobi being like, Oh, I have to kind of accept this kid. And, and you know, that's, that's a different process that I haven't, I haven't connected with, but I think, to Sarah's point, you're raising a kid and the responsibility that you try to instill into your children and hope that when the moment comes that everything you've taught them, when that moment comes, whatever that is, 
if that's they get interacted with in a weird way. I'm raising a daughter. Sarah's also raising a daughter. It's like I have to instill in my daughter things that my parents didn't have to instill in me as a little boy. And so those things are different, right? So you think of the way that Luke was raised and you think of the way that Leia was raised and Leia's kind of being taught like we have to remember we're ambassadors to, you know, this giant new galactic empire and when we have all these responsibilities. You hope that when your children get into a moment where everything you've taught them comes through, that it works. But kids are yeah. kids, right? And so like you don't you don't know if they're gonna listen to you and say, you know, and you look at someone like Bail Organa and you think, I have to raise you to be regal the way that we are so that people respect us. But he also hasn't told her that like the entire galaxy might come looking for you if they find out who you actually are. Your own yeah. dad might come looking for you if he actually finds out who you are and no one can stop him. And that is the thing that hangs me up is that like the responsibility that a parent has, whether their child knows what they're doing or not, makes me resonate hard as hell with Bail Ograna. And even like Owen, yeah, I, I feel like Bail was in a different position than Owen was because Owen's like, all I have to do is just keep this kid busy, keep a low profile. We're going to moisture farm and that's <laughs> it. Like, don't worry about it. But Bale has to literally put his child that he's supposed to be kind of hiding on full display with the most powerful people across the galaxy without really like anyone sniffing around being like, oh, Bale, we didn't know you. You had children. Oh my, you know what I mean? Like, there's just so much of that that I'm like, Bale is a G hundred percent as a non-parent i feel like uh it's it's dog parent you're a dog parent (laughs) yeah i prepare i try to prepare finn for the real world i don't try to like (laughs) sugarcoat the world out there you know i think that's one thing that brea and bale did well is they both leaned into her natural instinct you know and i i think that that was pretty important and it's just now occurring to me not that i didn't notice but i guess i've never said it out loud that luke and leia besides the obvious differences in Tatooine and Alderaan, were raised actually completely the opposite. Where it was like, I feel like Luke was being sugarcoated by the Lars, you know? Like, it was more like you just said, you're you're a moisture farmer, you know? Like, they weren't leaning into that adventure side of him at all. And Brea and Bale were leaning into it with, with Leia because she showed it. So that's uh, two different ways to parent, I guess. The moment in the show that hit me hardest, you know, for obvious reasons, for everything I've said on this podcast about Carrie Fisher and Leia as a character and, and what that character means to me, the thing that landed hardest was the moment when Obi-Wan told Leia about her parents and the way he did a little bit of parenting in that moment in the sense that he validated her and everything she might be feeling and who she is as a person. That is in like the top two or three most powerful moments in all of Star Wars to me for many reasons, old and new and current and things that have have to do with my uh, cumulative 40 years experience with this universe. We all know the scene that I'm talking about. So Sarah, to you again, watching that scene, how did that speak to you as a mom, as a woman, as a mother of a girl who will grow to be a woman? I assume you cried like a baby as I did. Yeah, I I had to hold it together 
as women do. Um, because I was watching the finale in public. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, out of town for like a workshop for work. And is so, anyone else seeing this? <laughs> I like tucked myself away in like the cafeteria at our workspace there. And was just like, I pray to God nobody comes over here for the next like 53 minutes or however long the, the finale was because I had to watch it in public on my phone with like sad cafeteria food. And so I held it together for most of the episode until the battle. And then I really lost it at that scene when they're reunited and Obi-Wan just has this, like you said, it's it's one of the absolute best moments of Star Wars. And being a mom, being a parent, I'm sure Mike can attest to this. You always feel like you're messing up. You don't know the right things to say. You don't know if you're helping or hurting or limiting or freeing them to be who they are. And what he says to her so concisely and so fully at the same time was just like, Obi-Wan's a better parent than me. (laughs) (laughs) Like he just, he gave her this gift of summarizing who her parents were and why the best of them made her the best person. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was absolutely beautiful. It, I got, I can't stop. I can't talk anymore. I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think like you're, you're saying it's your point. It's like s- some kids, if they screw up or like it's, they, they go through something difficult. They want to know why, because it's so easy for, you know, kids developmentally are like all over the place. Like you got kids who are like just brain children. Then you got some kids who are, you know, physically incredible at what they do. And oftentimes like they're just all over the place when they're growing up. And so it's really hard. Like my daughter is still like really slow on the, on the pool thing. Right. Like, cause you know, we live in Michigan. It's like every, we live on Lake Superior. It's like the coldest freshwater lake in the world. Right. So we don't swim that much. And she will go over to a pool and she sees all these kids swimming and like, we're working on it. She's getting through her own fear of like, what it's like to be suspended in the water and all that kind of stuff. But she's really frustrated that she can't swim as well as the other kids yet. And it's like something that we work through as a parent and like respecting her space of like where she's at and as she'll get over that. And you got such a sense that Leia didn't feel like she was a part of the Organa family. Like you felt that in the very beginning that she was like, I'm an outsider. Like I'm literally running away from this family because none of this feels right to me. And then for... Obi-Wan at the end to say, you're exactly the person that you need to be with good reason that your parents made you who you're supposed to be. And to see Bail lean into that and say, you know, like both of the Organas were like, we're not trying to change you. Like, and the, I see you saw that at the end, right? Where like, she kind of got scolded at the beginning for not being kind to her cousin. And then at the end, Bail was like, tell that kid to piss off. He sucks. Right. (laughs) It was, it was just such a great, it was a great moment of seeing like the Organa relationship too. And that I feel like Leia was really like, you know, I'm not going to hide from my adventurous spirit because I have Anakin Skywalker's blood in me. The, the kid that decided to go at the Boonta Eve classic and, uh, basically kick off this entire saga. That's who my dad is. So lean into it. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Um, I'm just trying to speak. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was a powerful moment. And we talked about this in, in the recap of, uh, of part six. I mentioned how it's just, it's like an impossible decision to pick between two best scenes in, the, in that finale being the, the moment with 
Anakin turned Vader and Obi-Wan and then the Obi-Wan and Leia moment. It's pretty amazing when a writer can write a scene for Star Wars or a few scenes for Star Wars where it's just dialogue between two people, between an old man and a little girl, and it, it hangs with slash rises far above any swashbuckling lightsaber battle or a, a space dogfight or any, any of that. You know, that the fact that they can write that scene that fits perfectly in this movie or this series rather and sits above all of those others is just a triumph of writing and then directing and then acting and so on. So I just can't say enough good stuff about that. And it's great to hear your perspective as parents as well. Well done, everyone. Everyone who made this show, who's definitely listening to this podcast, well done. (laughs) We all appreciate you a lot. I shouldn't laugh. They definitely are. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. We could talk for hours about the specifics of the different scenes that we connected with in the series and so on. But we talked a lot in the episode by episode thing. So let's just get straight into the Den of Antiquities and talk about some kind of deep cuts. And then something that I think will take up the most time, which is the most interesting, I'm going to stop prefacing it and we'll just do it now. It's going to be a hoot. Here we go. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Over a thousand generations. It is the dark saber. Oh gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. The Den of Antiquities. We we have a few that are just kind of uh, fun stuff, and then we're going to get deep into this really fun um, extended thing. And our buddy Nick's going to get it started. Did I say that this was Nick at any point in this podcast? <laughs> this is Nick. Oh, hey, Nick. <laughs> um, oh, hey. What's your name? <laughs> All right. Supposedly, the project originated as a spin-off film, which I think we we kind of always heard rumblings of that over the years. The film was written by Hossein Amini, who has writing credit on this now. So I think that he might have not been exactly directly involved in the series, but I think they used a lot of elements that he wrote for the movie. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read that somewhere is that he gets a writing credit because of things they used from his movie script. The movie was also supposed to be directed by Stephen Daldry. Uh, And after Lucasfilm decided to rethink the content roadmap in 2018 because of partially because of how Solo did, but then also a little later on how well Mandalorian performed streaming wise, it was uh, reworked into a limited series. It all worked out as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they would have stuck to a like two to two and a half hour movie format. And basically we got like a four and a half hour movie. There was also supposedly, and this has been well publicized on social media. One of the writers talked about writing a trilogy of Obi-Wan films. We won't go into that, but what happened in this series was essentially the first film. So season two, please. (laughs) Is all I have to say about that? Yes, please. I'm not going to say no, because even if season two is less good and season three is even less good, I'm just happy to see it. You know, like the, it's going to it's going to be good, even if it's less good. 
All right, moving on. The giant creature Obi-Wan is butchering for work is called a Tibidon, similar to the Tibidi seen in Rebels. But locals just call it the Shanwell. Shanwell. <laughs> Tibidon, I'm think, I think Mastodon. Yeah, I think totally. like larger, you know, so that's cool. That's a cool uh, suffix to add to that, I think. I like language. This next one's a, a super deep cut into Legends, but I think it's fun and interesting. And, and even before Legends, say the words. The scene in uh, the opening episode where Leia is calling out starships, she says one could be piloted by an Aquilian ranger hunting Mersin pirates. We all know that Aquilian rangers were in the second draft of Star Wars. Uh, Deke Starkiller was a Jedi and an Aquilian ranger. Mersin pirates were in the 1979 comic Star Wars number 24, which was a prequel starring Obi-Wan Kenobi. That comic is actually super funny now looking at it because the way Obi-Wan looks as a young prequel Obi-Wan in this mm. was very much based on Macquarie's oh, nice. yeah. early conception, you know, with like the kind of the tighter fitting clothes and yep. the uh, the headband and shit mm-hmm. yep. before Lucas did the, uh, the the classic Jedi tunic thing in the prequels. It's funny. This is one that I, I feel like we mentioned a little bit, but isn't really getting as much traction as far as conversations go, but 3PO and R2 were at the Organis party in, in the first episode. It's kind of a, it's really weird to say that R2 or 3PO is an Easter egg because they're R2 and 3PO, but they, they were there yeah. and they didn't really grab too much screen time. So that was definitely very awesome. Because they weren't in the middle of a battle. Their lives weren't, you know, being threatened for once. They were just chilling at <laughs> yeah. a party, pretty safe. R2 is <laughs> drunk. It's like, usually... <laughs> I'm serving the drinks. This party, I'm drinking. And then after the party, right? Yeah, after the party when Leia is kind of mildly getting scolded by Bale for putting her cousin into a certain place there with how she was talking back to him. Bale tells Leia he wanted to chase Purgle when he was younger. And we all know what a Purgle is. Thrawn's best friend. It's an Alderanian word for uh, girls. (laughs) (laughs) Bale's like, some people like women. I, I like, like I like giant uh, space like, whales because they got hyperspace <laughs> capabilities. Hell yeah, brother! For anyone who, who has no clue what we're talking about in Rebels, Star Wars Rebels, there are these creatures called Pergil who that are giant space whales and they can jump to hyperspace. Hell yes! And it's kind of a big deal in Rebels. So if you're listening for the first time, number one, press subscribe. Number two, you should go watch Rebels. Absolutely, because the Ahsoka series is going to make Rebels mandatory viewing. But 100. we won't talk about that right now. We'll talk about the drug dealer girl in part two is actually Ewan McGregor's daughter named Esther Rose McGregor. Well done, Esther. <laughs> Mother and child that Haja helps escape to Corellia, a Force-sensitive child named Corin. Corin Horn was a Jedi in Legends who was about Luke's age and actually did serve in the new Jedi Order. Did you notice that? the mother and child were actually on that transport in the last couple episodes. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. The one that, when Vader pulled down the empty one, right? Yeah. That, that one? Exactly, yep. Nice, nice. Yeah, that, that uh, Jedi or Force-sensitive kid in Legends was also a member of Rogue Squadron. Oh, Just read excellent. that today. Pilot. Maverick and Goose. Mm. Nice man. Cougar and Merlin. Deborah Chow stated... On Kenobi's look in the finale, there's a statue of Kenobi during this period, which is a sideshow collectibles statue that 
really felt sort of visually it encapsulated what the feel of the character was at this moment. And it actually became quite a reference that I would continue to go back and look at the statue. And there also was a comic book uh, in 2015, a Marvel cover of Star Wars number 15 that had a very similar look to the sideshow statue. One thing that they did that was different uh, in the comic was that his his belt is very similar to Vader's belt Mm. in that like moon with the half. So I thought, that was a nice little oh. detail in the comic, but I totally understand why they left it out because then it would just flame more people to be like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty cool. Um, shouting out my fellow costumers that were on this show, which is really cool. They brought the 501st back in for that big scene when they were storming the tunnel. So if you were on that show, very cool. Congratulations, you Southern California bastards. You get all the cool stuff. <laughs> But what's really awesome is a lot of the stunt actors, and I don't know if there was a reason for why they were able to share this so frequently, but it's been really cool watching some of the stunt actors be able to share the behind the scenes stuff of what went on in this show. Normally, we don't get to see that stuff, but most notably the episode where the stormtroopers got washed out by Kenobi when he breaks the glass in the fortress uh, that was a practical stunt. Nice. The stormtroopers legitimately got doused with water and it pushed them all aside and they all had to fall over. And I guess they had to reset it nice. a few times, <laughs> which is amazing. Wow. And I guess, yeah, they said that it took about 45 minutes to reset the set every time and they had to do it like six or seven times. So, oh my God. Yeah. So, those, and what's really cool is just that they actually like they fully built those clone suits out of the new kind of working, you know, the, the industry standard right now is, is that uh, harder urethane. Uh, so, they rebuilt those clone suits, which is really, really cool. And uh, it's almost like we're going to be. Seeing more clones, possibly. Mm. I wonder if there's another show coming out. Wouldn't that be cool? So anyways, that's really that's really cool in that they had... Uh, uh, I don't know if the the props... I, of course, anyone else who's nerding out with me saw that there was a heavy weapons trooper when they were outside of, I believe it was the episode seven before they stormed the, the tunnel. And he had a heavy weapons pack on, which is the one with all the blinking lights because the sand trooper packs don't have the blinking lights. And I thought that was pretty damn cool. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was really blown away at how much we got to see. Uh, and I don't know why that was, but we saw more behind the scenes before the show was over than we've ever seen before. So maybe this is the start of loosening the reins on the mystery of filmmaking and hopefully inspiring more people to wear costumes and show that this wasn't all CGI. This was very much a real thing. So pretty rad. This uh, next part is kind of the Holy grail of the den of antiquities right now. The episodes of the Kenobi series were written loosely to represent each of the six prequel and original trilogy films. I had heard this and, and seen it referenced loosely in social media posts. And I, w- I was kind of, kind of trying to just avoid it until now. And once I did a deep dive, holy shit, it's really well done. This was clearly on purpose. None of this is accidental. It's dope. So let's start at the top. Part one of the Obi-Wan Kenobi series references heavily the, the Phantom Menace in that Luke is in seclusion on Tatooine. Got these goggles on, dreams of pod racing. Big Anakin Skywalker vibes. Meanwhile, Leia grows up as royalty in this 
sort of like utopian homeworld, Alderaan, much like Naboo, and uses a decoy, much like her mother did, with the, the handmaidens. So right off the top, we're setting up these kids just like their parents. Mm-hmm. And then part two mirrors Attack of the Clones in a lot of ways. We've got this neon city planet where Obi-Wan's covertly kind of moving through the underworld, trying to solve a mystery, very much that noir kind of vibe, just like Coruscant and chasing uh, the bounty hunters. We've got Leia taking charge, being very um, forthright and kind of putting herself right in the middle of the fight, just like Padme when she acted as bait in her apartment, when they, uh, you know, they had the slimy little space worms coming in through the the window with the probe. Mm -hmm. And then really the kind of the cherry on top was the clone trooper in the streets, really bringing it back to Attack of the Clones. Part three is the most obvious one, I would say. It's the the battle between Anakin and Obi-Wan, but it's flipped. It's the the mirror image of that burning on the shores of, of Mustafar kind of thing. Obi-Wan's the one that gets burned in this case in the series. Also, prior to that, much more subtle, but I, I think a, a pretty cool callback. Anakin on the hill, the vision that Obi-Wan has on, I mm-hmm. forgot what planet that is, seeing Anakin in his Jedi robes with the hood up, looking very Darth Vader, very much the end of Revenge of the Sith mm. prior to the the burning, you know, just what yep. Vader would have been had he not been roasted. Part four, A New Hope. We have Leia as a prisoner in an Imperial facility. She resists the interrogation, or mind probe, by Reva. Obi-Wan then breaks in, infiltrates to rescue her, because he is, of course, her only hope. And then there's that shot of the comlink left on the desk that we mentioned in the coverage of this episode. Mm-hmm. I saw the shots in an article one on top of the other. They're so close. It's amazing. hundred percent on purpose. And then we get hints of hope at the end of this episode with Ben kind of regaining his force powers and starting to become Obi-Wan again and, and get out of his, his force funk. Mm-hmm. Part five, just like the empire strikes back, we've got a homing beacon placed on the ship, which, which was actually at the end of part four, but that's, it's part of this plot here. Just like the one Lando put on the Falcon or had his people put on the Falcon in the cloud, in cloud city. And then we have the rebels, or whatever you call the group that is responsible for the path, this underground railroad of Jedi. They're in a cave base, scrambling to board ships, trying to evacuate, just like the opening of The Empire Strikes Back. And then at the end, we have Vader easily defeating Reva, just like Vader defeats Luke in Cloud City, leaves her for dead, just like he left Luke for dead in Cloud City, didn't leave him for dead, he jumped. Either way, it, it works, the parallel works. Moving on to part six, which has a lot of Return of the Jedi themes, including Obi-Wan being the Jedi who returns to face Vader again, this time victoriously. It is the return of the Jedi, called Obi-Wan Kenobi in this case. And in that battle, he he goes super hard. We talked about this last time, or episode before last when we covered this, how he was just kind of, once he had regained his strength, he he went hard into that battle and he was very much fighting this like this monster that Anakin had become not fighting Anakin necessarily. So we see him like raising those rocks and doing all the stuff and just chopping him down, just like Luke in return of the Jedi. But then he has a moment where he sees what he's done, where the kind of the rage kind of subsides and he stops himself before actually following through and killing Vader, just like Luke did in return of the Jedi when he threw down his saber. And that calls that, that leads us to the next moment where Riva has this moment of hesitation when she can't kill young Luke, just like Vader has a moment where he realizes 
I need to make a decision. I need to, to go back on everything that I've been doing for the past 20 years or whatever. And she turns back from the dark side, just like Vader turns back from the dark side. Vader, of course, kills Palpatine and Return of the Jedi. Reva decides not to kill Luke and br- instead brings him back to the Lars family. Nice parallel there. And then we have Obi-Wan telling Vader at the end of the duel, then my friend is truly dead, just like Luke says to Vader, that my father is truly dead. Palpatine, talking about matching quotes, says in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I wonder if your thoughts are clear on this, Lord Vader, about everything with Obi-Wan in the hollow at the end. Matching almost exactly the quote from Return of the Jedi, I wonder if your feelings on this matter are clear, Lord Vader, when they're walking, I want to say they're walking out of the shuttle, like in the, the, the hangar and the Death Star when the Emperor first arrives. That sounds right. Something like that. And then lastly, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series ends with Qui-Gon appearing as a Force ghost, much like Obi-Wan, Yoda, and Anakin appearing to Luke as Force ghosts in the final moment of Return of the Jedi. Well done. Well damn done. No, I feel like Lucasfilm should sue themselves for plagiarism. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a lawsuit there. They got a case. <laughs> Who wrote this? Who wrote this? Man, while you were reading that and not for nothing, I was, you know, hearing that all for the first time. I mean, that's the story of Star Wars. That's for sure. Yeah. So it's really great that it wasn't like some of the lines, not even all of them, some of the lines as they were being said in the series i was like that sounds familiar and a lot of them weren't but when you really put them back to back it's there's a lot of them are similar and it's really great to just kind of just be able to rewrap this story you know or the story of all of the first six movies into this and i wouldn't say it's not not noticeable but it's not noticeable where you're like oh they just ripped themselves off or uh they just told the same story over again because i definitely don't get that vibe i mean they're all this stuff comes from the very small handful of archetypes that have been around in storytelling for thousands of years. So, of course, that, that would be a, a reservoir that you would pull from as a writer. Mm. And instead of just going back to absolutely square one, you would you filter it through what's already happened in Star Wars because we're talking about the same characters. I think it's brilliant. And it's amazing. It's amazing like, uh, what do we compare it to recently? Like a puzzle. You've got a bunch mm. of pieces and... You know, you've got this empty spot in it and the way you make it work, like a song, yeah. like you're trying to bridge two different parts together with lyrics. Mm-hmm. I think it's beautiful. Well, I mean, not to, to totally like change course here of topics, but like I know a lot of people in the fandom are like, and not even haters, just people in the fandom are like, I'm tired of the Skywalker saga. I'm tired of it making like the universe feeling small, like everyone knows each other and everyone's a sibling of somebody else or a father or a parent of somebody else. I want new stories. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be one or the other, man. Let's do it all. Let's like enrich the entire galaxy that we have. And it adds depth to the Skywalker saga that people are related to each other. But then we could all, we're all smart enough to also get new stories that have nothing to do with it. You know, like it, it, we could have it all. Give us all the Star Wars, all of it. All right, let's move on to I Love You, I Know. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite moments, favorite episode in the series. Sarah, what was your favorite episode and or favorite moment? Give us both, actually. Favorite episode and then both. the whole thing. Favorite moment or scene. You can't change your mind and you could never change your mind, actually. If you do, we'll be so mad at Ever. you. Ever. This is my favorite of all time. Yeah. Goes right into your gravestone. Yeah, yeah. How about of all time? I'm just glad I'm going first because usually Nick goes first. <laughs> 
and he always takes my picks. So I get the first choice. I'll pick something different than you. <laughs> okay. Unless it's unless it's what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so favorite episode is part five, because I think wow. that's where everybody really got to shine and you got to see so much character development from so many of the main characters. I want to say part six because it wrapped it up so nicely, but part five was really when you got to see Leia go and go off and do her thing. And you got to hear Reva's whole backstory and see Obi-Wan still continue to be a master over Anakin and guess what he was going to do next. And he really was coming into his own in that episode. And so that was my favorite episode. My favorite moment, and it's everybody's favorite moment, right? Is Obi-Wan coming to Leia at the very end and, and telling her, hey, I kind of lied to you. I said, I didn't know your parents. I did. Here is the most positive things about them. And him using that moment to speak so positively about Anakin having just gone through, we don't know how much time has passed, but having just gone through that with Anakin and saying goodbye to his friend and to be able to speak to his best qualities was just, it was beautiful. Heart-wrenching and beautiful. Mike, how about you? It's hard to, you know, what's interesting is like looking back in the episode list when we were, know that we were going to do this season recap. I, I mean, episode one and two, I watched in our hotel room while you guys were watching Top Gun at Celebration. So I like <laughs> almost completely forgot that there were two episodes in that because I have never hit play next episode so fast in my <laughs> life. But it's it's really, I, I I love Sarah's take on that because I think that the moment that we saw the prequel Padawan braid on Anakin and you just saw that throwback, I mean, I think that that was such a juicy moment and truly felt like, Nick said it on one of the show recaps was that we got a sequel to revenge of the Sith that we didn't realize that we were going to get after the revenge of the Sith was over. And you know what I mean? That's so rad. I think like with everyone, I, I, I love seeing Vader in action. And so seeing the power of him in episode three was so awesome, but I, it's really hard to go over the final episode and, and think of, all of those, I mean, they really saved a lot of the juice for, for the last, for part six. And, and I, I understand why people might say, oh, it's, that's an easy one to go for. But I mean, God, the acting, the battle, the, the moment, I mean, that's overall, it's just incredible episode. So I don't know how I couldn't pick episode six. Um, and the moment for me was truly, I think I kind of said it at the top of the hour. I mean, seeing Anakin Skywalker act the shit out of a broken, hacked up Darth Vader and still showing that like he doesn't need the mask to be scary and doesn't need the mask to show that he's gone down that path. I'm just, I was like, sh I was shook as the kids say, Nick, shook. They also say manifest a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Anakin Skywalker manifested that he would <laughs> become the master. But I, I think that that moment, that duel and that Obi-Wan realizing that his friend is gone and that like we, and especially like now, I mean, I think that if we even open up the way that Obi-Wan felt and like some of our friends over the years that we've lost each other, maybe that's politically, we don't agree about like some people I feel like I don't even recognize anymore, probably from their Facebook algorithm. And I'm like, damn, like what happened to you? And I look at 
Obi-Wan, and I think about that in my own real life. And I'm like, I felt that not on that level because I didn't, I've never left anyone burning alive on the side of a volcano before, but certainly. It's really cool, dude. You should try it. Gonna say, not yet. You haven't yet. (laughs) I haven't yet. You're right. But, but there was, but that just the moment between Hayden doubling down on this, this creepy, I'm leaning into the dark side and Obi-Wan saying, I can't, I don't recognize you anymore. And I tried and I, I couldn't, that was just a heavy star Wars moment for sure. And I'm like, I think that's my favorite moment of this whole series. Nick, how about you? I'm going to take into consideration here when I'm talking about my favorite things, I'm going to take into consideration my expectations because the surprise to me, the surprise emotional moment that I did not see coming is Obi-Wan telling Leia about Anakin and Padme. That's the surprise. Didn't see it coming. Never in a million years have I thought that I wanted that or could conceive that it was going to happen. So that one was a shocking emotional moment. But I I will say with my expectations of wanting to see a connection of Obi-Wan talking to Vader as if he's talking to Anakin, which he is to a certain extent, Obi-Wan apologizing and saying, Anakin, I'm sorry for all of it. Uh, I don't think I'll never not cry at that because Jesus Christ, the way he apologizes, Ewan deserves a thousand Oscars for that one scene, that one line. Give him other things that aren't even acting. Give him a Grammy too. I don't know. Give him out. Give him. Give him a Tony. He he deserves all the awards. He gets an EGOT. YouTube. Yeah, he's gonna. He, Obi Wan's an EGOT. Yeah, that that wind up being just because it's what I wanted. And you know what? Star Wars gave it to me. I, I always joked, but I wasn't really joking. Like I said, I wanted to cry the entire series, and I didn't until that moment. But that's everything that I wanted, and it will never not deliver. It was it was legitimately a perfect scene. So I'll go with that as far as my favorite scene. Yeah, I mean, it's undeniable that that whole part six is the best episode too for me. So I'm not going to shy away from that. That that seemed like, if that's all we got, if all we got was like a 50 minute, here's an Obi-Wan movie, guess what? It's only 50 minutes and it was just that, I would be happy. It's, it's very yeah. good. I mean, I'd be very confused... <laughs> if that was the case <laughs> with a lot of other things, but uh, I'll go very normal answer, which I think is part six. And then that line, that quote of Obi-Wan apologizing to Anakin. That's, that's what I wanted and that's what I got. And I like it. I am going to say, I'm not going to say, uh, <laughs> because you already said it. A lot of the same things that you just said, Nick. And just like you said about the scene with Obi-Wan and Leia being unexpected, I had the same feelings and then being the dude I am, the stuff I've already said, I said in the episode before last, it just, it came down on me like a thousand tons of bricks and I've never cried harder watching anything in my life than when he talked to Leia about her parents. But it's, it's like 50, 50 joy and mourning, you know, um, like Sarah, you and I have talked about enough times that. We don't need to again here and cry in public again. Don't about, do it. I'm close to crying right now. <laughs> about parents and losing parents. Um, so that was, uh, that was significant <laughs> to say the least. Um, so that, that's gotta be the winner. But Nick, just like you said, 
all all awards ceremonies, all awards shows henceforth, I have to be new ones because all the ones that have happened for the past hundred years give all those to Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen and just make up new ones because no one else can can do <laughs> what they did on screen in that moment. Everyone in the chat is saying the Nobel Peace Prize also. Yeah, give it to him. Give, give them all of it. The Teen Choice Awards, the VMAs. <laughs> they get the Nobel Prize for Physics <laughs> and Biology. Just all the shit. They get all of that. But still, it's the emotional weight of the scene with Leia and Obi Wan that that gets it for me. And then, um, of course, it's that episode as a whole. I don't know if I said that already. I'm in an emotional fog. But yeah, part six. That's the winner. So let's move on before I cry anymore. And see what the patrons thought. Actually, before we give the the final vote percentage that we got from the patron poll, which was available to Jedi and Jedi Council tier patrons, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod is where you can go if you want to participate. Let's get some comments directly from the comment section of that post. And Sarah will be the person who will read those. Cool. Pick a couple of your faves. All right. Cad Harvey says, I will be a contrarian and go with part one for two personal reasons. Number one, watching it at celebration surrounded by other fans and seeing the whole cast come on stage after was one of the highlights of my life. And then number two, the reveal of little Leia had to be the best moment of the whole show for me. I did not see it coming and was instantly in tears. She's always been my favorite character. And the moment I knew we were going to see more of her, her parents and Alderaan, it totally made the show for me. I will... Add to that that somebody in our chat here saying seeing Alderaan was crazy surprising. I hope we get to see more of it. And then yes. Meg says, you'll see pieces of it. Oh, <laughs> oh, you guys Meg. are funny. Too soon or was it 40 years ago? Wow. All right. Dark-sided. By the way, if you're not joining our Discord, I love our Discord. I think it's so fun. And we have very fun people having all kinds of awesome discussions all the time, which is why I love it. How much is it to get on to Discord, Adam? $3 a month. $3 reduce. Come on. That you would contribute to this free podcast to get in our little circle and hang out. That's all it takes. $3 a month. You know what costs $3? Lots of shit that's not worth $3. That's a great point. That's a great point. Yeah. All right. I got a couple more. I'm Hold on. There's a lot. Stop yelling at Sarah, Mike. Um, <laughs> I'm going to cry. Sarah, pay the three bucks for the Discord. <laughs> Kevin Doom, there's just too much that happens in six that overshadows the rest of the series. You get the rematch of the century, the one-liner we've all been waiting for, the heartbreaking talk with Leia. It sets up and closes the series to perfection. Bravo, Deborah Chow, all of the folks at Lucasfilm, absolutely brilliant work. Retweet. Okay, one more. Nick Velarde says, it is hard to argue that it isn't the finale. Often the penultimate episode is the best and most intense in a TV season because then the season, the finale just wraps up things and sets things up for the next season. But this finale delivered beyond expectations. That being said, I had to vote for episode three from a pure visceral and emotional response standpoint. Obi-Wan describing the force to Leia in silence as turning on the light and the scariest Vader we've ever seen being met by an Obi-Wan who is clearly, truly terrified of him were both unforgettable Star Wars experiences I didn't know I needed. Agree. Uh, one more, Nicole Rourke, part six. It was everything I ever wanted from Darth Vader since I was a kid. 100, 100 emoji. Shout out Rourke, great photographer. Mike, you got something from the comments you want to read before we do the results? Yes, if you're on our Jedi Council tier, on Patreon, you get to watch as we record this and really see 
how the vegan bacon is made. <laughs> it's so, gross and dirty. Just it's so gross know. and dirty, and it's just very salty. Um, but <laughs> what's really great is that we get to chat alongside as we're like talking points. We get to have other people jump in. It's really great. And Jason Chiodo from New Hope Workshop, who puts together some killer lightsabers, added this little tidbit that I thought was perfect. So he says, since we're on talking about our favorite moments that undoubtedly occur in episode six, another for me that happened in episode five was when Ned B and Tala both sacrificed themselves for their compatriots. Oh, yeah. Yes. Those two were my favorite new characters in the series, and that moment was such a rebel moment. It really encapsulated the energy that would be in the spark to build a rebellion. Good stuff, really emotional. Jason, I wholeheartedly agree that that was a rebel yell. Underrated moment. I mean, Ned Underrated. B. Ned B was about to clock <laughs> to set Ravo with with the hammer. Like, yeah, right. Like Ned B's like, I'm about to, like square up. Let's do this. Yeah, and then ends up like basically letting them escape. And I, I completely agree. That was such a great Star Wars moment that we've seen that like selfless act of save the dream, save the rebellion, right? Like that, that's, yeah. that's a great point. Very K2SO moment as well. All right, let's do these results and get out of here. All right, so like we said, we pulled the patrons. Like we do every time we're covering a show. We asked them to pick their favorite episode. <laughs> you probably guess which one was the winner. Episode one. But dude, these, per- these percentages are <laughs> brutal. So uh, second place, it was actually a tie. Technically a tie for third place, I think, is how you do it. Part one and part three tied for with 4% each. <laughs> <laughs> and the remaining 93% goes to the winner... <laughs> The finale, part six. So predictable. <laughs> Patrons, we get it. We get it, okay? Uncle, we fucking, we give. Jeez. I give you, okay, fine. Settle down. Yeah, so we're basically on the same page, everyone. Thank you. You're smart. Man, what a series. I think I, I've watched quite a bit of the other Disney Plus series after the fact, long after they've been aired, but I think this will be the one that I revisit more on the level of one of the the theatrical films in terms of number of times watching and it being shorter is also easier to get through it's just uh it's it's quite an accomplishment i would call it a triumph personally mm. anyone else closing thoughts before we get the hell out of here I, I i will leave you all with this and i know it's been mentioned a little bit so far but the last thing obi-wan sees in a new hope is Luke and Leia together. And then he's like, all right, peace out. I'm out of here. With a he's smile. like Homer going into the bushes. He's like, all right, I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> My job <laughs> is done. I'm out. That's amazing. He's got a little smirk on his face. Man, that is great. Great stuff. They found each it's other. poetry. They found each other. Mm. I'm sorry. I will say we did not deserve this. Like the fact that we were given this massive gift of a series, we could have never expected it. And it was so beautifully done. And us talking about the correlations between each episode and one of the movie episodes, for them to have done that so beautifully and still told this story as a whole so independently from those correlations, we didn't deserve it. 
not a single bit of it. It was beautiful. It has made all of Star Wars better. Everything before it, everything after it, it's made it better. And I think it's going to be difficult to watch new Star Wars after having mm-hmm. watched something as incredible as this. The bar's high. Mike, anything else before we wrap up? I mean, as we get into the looking at the next plan of where Star Wars is at and, you know, just I was feeling very sad that Wednesday came around and I didn't have any Star Wars to watch, right? And then there's also this same time that I really miss the the rise of the excitement of watching a Star Wars movie in the theater. And there's so much information that comes out after the show and there was like a little teaser with, you know, Commander Cody being you know, kind of this like X, you know, he's recognized that his, you know, biochip has been removed and all these little details that come out. And it just makes you excited to know that there are this many talented people that are that well-connected in Hollywood that are working on these productions now. And I have a friend who's working on Ahsoka and there's all, I'm just like, it still blows my mind that in 2022, we are getting this level of Star Wars and not like a reboot of like, hey, we're going to try to put Star Wars 200 years from now because we have that too. We have Star Wars 200 years ago in the High Republic. That machine is being fed. We've got basically Rebels, the sequel to an animated show that we all love. Like that's coming out. We just got a sequel to Revenge of the Sith, a movie that came out in 2005. I'm like, what an amazing time to be a fan. And then to see it with the same actors still actually caring and not mailing in their performances. I'm like, this is absolutely the best time to be alive as a Star Wars fan. I'm going to say it. And I I feel like I have to say it every time a show wraps. I'm like, this is insane. What a show, (laughs) dude. What a Disney show. For sure. You know what? And here's what I'm saying. All right, listen. I disagree. And that's all I'm going to say. And and the hype, the hype for Andor, like the entertainment weekly thing came out this week and I'm seeing little pictures and I'm losing my mind about that. So, I mean, all in all, let's just once again, be so appreciative that Star Wars as an entity is being fed and grown and just it's hard for me to ever think that the hype is going to go down because I feel hyped every day some little tiny bit of information comes out I'm like let's go Star Wars yeah even better every day it's like I feel like it took a decade but Lucasfilm and Disney were has put Star Wars it's a gravy train with biscuit wheels, baby. I think we're, I think we're, we, I think Disney plus the series Mandalorian being a hit. I think that they got enough traction. They got, they, the path opened up in front of them on where they need to go. And here we are. Gravy train biscuit wheels, baby. <laughs> All right. That's, that's a perfect line to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Jones, Mary, <laughs> the people, uh, Nick, uh, tell the people where they can find you on social media now as we wrap up. Please come and find me on social media, both Instagram and Twitter, at Nick Bayside. I just released episode 52 of the Radio Radio Show. And I know the world is weird and half of the world is celebrating the world being weird. But please go listen to those episodes. They're fun. I'll play some new tunes and uh, you could hear more of the sweet, sweet, sultry voice on the Radio Radio Show. 
Wow, that was really good, Nick. How do I follow that up? Um, Try. The other, Try hard. The, uh, Hello, it's Mike from Honda's. <laughs> <Ooh. laughs> maybe if I don't do that, it made me feel weird. Mm. Um, the uh, yes, season two of Armor Party is shaping up. I just had to clear out a couple projects and have a guest list that's ready to sign up, and then we're going to be dropping Armor Party very soon here, which is exciting. Uh, I am getting all of my last minute stuff prepared for this Boba Fett build, Empire Strikes Back which I regret every chance and every decision that I said. You're a crazy person. I'm going to build this thing. I am am in pain (laughs) every time I realize something's wrong because there's nine different ways that people have very opinionated methods, everything. I'm I'm like, this thing's giving me anxiety. I haven't even painted it yet. So um, follow along Armor Party Show on Instagram. And uh, if you need credentials or any of these other fun little things I make of knickknacks over at Honda Supply, I would love to be able to make you something. And hopefully you're going to the Star Cruiser or you're going to Batu soon or you're going somewhere because I think we need to go back to the Star Cruiser and I think we need to go back to Batu and I think yes. we need to do a lot of cool things in the future here. And I think we need to do another Mosh Isley. Ooh. Yeah. Maybe so. Sarah. Um, I'm going back to Star Cruiser. Actually, oh, okay. cool. yeah, sure. so thanks yeah, for that lead-in. <sighs> I got space for one in my cabin. Y'all fight it out. Yes, so I'm going back to Star Cruiser next month. So we'll be covering that over on our podcast, Princess and Scoundrel. And I was in Disneyland Paris just like a little over a week ago. So our latest episode that dropped the day of recording this, which would have been two days ago, uh, is out now on YouTube and your favorite podcast app. And uh, Steven and I are starting to do some live streaming on YouTube. So if you want to hear some more like casual conversations about what it was like to go to Disneyland Paris, kind of some of the behind the curtain stuff, you can hang out with us on Friday nights on YouTube on Princess and Scoundrel. My stuff is all at Adam the Skull on, I say all, it's two things. It's Instagram and Twitter. That's what I do at Adam the Skull. The podcast this podcast, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Thank the Maker Pod, on Twitter at Thank the Maker. If you want to support this podcast, like we talked about earlier, for as little as three dollars a month, patreon.com slash Thank the Maker Pod is where you can go to do that. There are higher tiers. You can spend more money if you want to. It really does truly help make this thing happen. Your patronage is incredibly appreciated. Patrons, thanks for hanging out with us here. Co-hosts, thank you so much. I love you. Until next week. May the force be with you.